Thank you, Larry, for sharing your story. I love that. I love that. Hey, how are we doing, Hope City Church? We doing good? Man, 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 you guys are amazing. Today is a historic day for our church because um, the, the Shepherdsville campus is, uh, I think, just about right now, wrapping up their service that they had. And so today is our first official Sunday as Hope City Church in two different locations. And so we're really, really excited about that. Really excited about that. And so if you know anybody in that Shepherdsville area, I mean, uh, just help us, that Bullock County area, help us spread the word. Also, just want to make sure when you came in today, uh, you got one of these sermon guides. I say one of them. I got it here somewhere. One of these sermon guides looks like this. It's got all the scriptures and Bible verses we'll use for the sermon today, some discussion questions. And those questions uh, are part of what we use for our groups that meet during the week. And on the back are all the different groups that you can be a part of. We'd love for you to jump into uh, one of those groups, and um, so we'd love for you to do that. Uh, before we jump into the sermon, I do just want to um, say, just kind of as, I guess, as the pastor of the church, and just kind of uh, where my heart is at today, because it is such a, a monumental day. When I woke up this morning, I was really just filled with this emotion of, of gratitude, um, I, I guess predominantly being very grateful to God. You know, the Bible says that God builds his church. We can't, we can't grow the church. We can only build people, grow people. God builds the church. And so all the doors that have opened, all the opportunities, we're just really grateful to God that he would allow us to be a part of a church that, would, that can do something like this. But then the second kind of people or thing that I was most grateful for today are all the people, so many of you in here and our other service and part of our Shepherdsville location, all the people who have generously given, all the people who are part of our One More Matters campaign, because we're only able to do these types of things because of the people who give, uh, who give generously. And so you may never step foot into the Shepherdsville location or future locations that we have, but because you give, you're a part of that. And so I just wanted to say thank you. If you're a guest with us today, you're like, what's One More Matters? We'd love to tell you about it. We're not going to take the time to do it right now. We'd love to tell you about it. You can find more information on the website or grab one of our leaders and We'd love to tell you more about that. But just thank you to everybody who's giving to that, continues to give to that, starting to give to that. Uh, I'm really, really, really thankful that that you're doing that, all right? My name is Jason. I can't remember if I introduced myself, but my name is Jason, and I'm the pastor here at the church, and uh, we're just really glad that you're here. And today, we're starting a four-part series called Playlist, where we are going to take four weeks and just look at a few of the Psalms from, from the Old Testament. And the reason that the, the series is called Playlist is because the Psalms were originally written as songs. They were originally written as songs. And so the book of Psalms was kind of like the hymnal, if you will, or the songbook, if you will, for the early church. They would come together and they would sing these Psalms. Now, don't get nervous because we're not going to sing the Psalms today. Uh, but we are going to read them together and see what it is that God's wanting to show us uh, through these psalms. Now, I would be willing to bet that even if you're not a very religious person, even if you're here today and you don't have a lot of church experience or Bible experience, I would be willing to bet that you're still relatively familiar with the psalms. You probably or maybe have something in your house like a, um, a uh, I was about to say a scarf, a handkerchief or a Bible or a, I don't know, a calendar, a plate, I don't know, something that was maybe passed down from a grandparent or a great-grandparent that maybe has a psalm or a verse engraved on it. 
if not that, I would be willing to bet that you've been somewhere where uh, Psalms has been quoted. Maybe you have quoted it yourself. Let's just do a little test run and see. Hi, tell me if you've ever heard this before. The Lord is my shepherd, shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, restores my soul, leads me past the righteousness. For his name's sake, though I'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. How many people have ever heard that before? Let me see your hand. Yeah, that's Psalm 23. So there you go. You already know one of them. All right, and you, you probably have, have said that before many times, and so uh, you already have this familiarity with the Psalms. And the book of Psalms, by the way, is, is one of, if not the most popular book of the Bible because it is this book that is filled with emotion. It's an emotional roller coaster. It's this up and down. So the book of Psalms has uh, laughter and joy and happiness and sadness and anger and depression and anxiety and confusion. It is just all over the place. And there's something about that that resonates with us because we're all over the place, right? And so when we read these Psalms, we, we can really connect with it. And, I, and this is not true, but I understand that at times the Bible can feel old and outdated, but no one's ever accused the book of Psalms of being old and outdated, because there's something about it that's really relevant to where we are. And I think you're going to find that over the next four weeks, all right? Now, there are 150 uh, psalms, individual psalms put together in the book. Just think of it as like a, like a double-disc set of the greatest hits, all right? And, and there's 150 of them, but out of the 150, there are really three kinds of psalms, three styles, if you will, of psalms. The first kind is what we would just call psalms that are hymns, hymns, right? And these are psalms about God, just the general nature of God, uh, creation, his love. These are what we would call psalms that are hymns, all right? That's the first kind. The second kind of psalms would be what we would call psalms of lament, lament, all right? And these are psalms that are sad, angry, confused, depressed, all right, think of these as the Taylor Swift Psalms, okay? Somebody broke up with me, I'm mad about it, I'm writing a song about it, all right? And so, and just so you know, Psalms of Lament, there are more Psalms of Lament than any other type or style of psalm uh, in the book. And so the, these, are, these are those sad, heart-wrenching psalms. And then the third is what we would call Psalms of Thanksgiving or Gratitude, and these are psalms that are specifically about an event or a time where God did something and we are thankful for that or the author was thankful for that. So he's, he's, he gives specific examples of things that God did that he is thankful for. Now, let me tell you why I told you all that. It's not so you could win Bible trivia the next time it comes up. The reason I'm telling you that is because it gives us permission. The book of Psalms gives us permission to be emotional in our relationship with Jesus. Because I don't know how you were raised, your religious background, or, or the church maybe you grew up in, if you grew up in a church, but sometimes we can feel like we're only ever allowed to come to God when we're happy. Or when we come to God, we always have to be serious. Or when we come to God, we have to say things a certain way. But the book of Psalms gives us permission to come to God in all kinds of different emotions because we feel all kinds of different emotions. 
So God wants us to come to him when we're happy, when we're thankful. But he wants us to talk to him and to worship him when we're sad or when we're angry or when we're confused or when we're depressed. He wants us to talk to him and to worship him no matter what kind of emotional state that we're in. And the, song, the book of Psalms gives us permission to do that, that God is not bothered by our emotional instability, okay? This is not Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, all right? God can take it. Whatever you're feeling, God can handle it. He's not threatened by you being mad at him. He's not threatened by you having doubts. He's not threatened by you being confused about why things happen. He just wants you to talk to him. He just wants you to worship him. And some of the best worship, and I best is air quoting here, We're not, it's not competition, but some of the best worship comes out of times when we're angry, confused, sad, when we can say, I don't understand why, but God, I still worship you. And the, I mean, Psalms is just filled with those types of things. And so that just goes back to why we love this book so much, all right? Now, the next four weeks, we're going to look at four psalms, all right? We ain't got 150 weeks, all right, to do this series. So we're just going to pick four, kind of the greatest hits, I guess, of the book of Psalms, and, and we're going to um, learn a little more about who God is, and then also a little more about who, who we are. So are you ready? You ready to get this thing started? Okay, we're going to start today with Psalm 139, Psalm 139. And the reason that we're starting with Psalm 139 is because if, if, if you asked me, if I had to be honest, and you said, Jason, you get, you, you get to pick one. You get to pick one psalm, Jason. Of all the psalms, 150 of them, what is your favorite psalm? If I had to pick just one, I don't want to pick just one. I like a lot of them. But if I had to pick just one, I would pick Psalm 139, and I, I, hopefully you'll see why uh, in a few minutes, all right? Now, Psalm 139 is, is a psalm about how big and powerful God is, but not in this grand way. What it's actually going to show us is that God is so big and so powerful that he's able to be involved in all of our lives in a very personal way. We could say it like this, that God is big, but he's not so big that he doesn't care about the little things in our life. Let's say it again. That God isn't too big to care about the little things in our life. And so Psalm 139 is so important because it's going to remind us of something we need to be reminded of every day. Maybe every hour. Maybe every minute sometimes. Here's what it's going to remind us of. God loves you. God loves you. Especially when you don't love yourself. So mom, look at me. All the moms in the room, look at me. Those days... When you feel like a failure, those days when you feel like you should be more productive, those days when you feel like you've let somebody down and you are disappointed in yourself, Psalm 139 is going to remind you, God's not disappointed in you. He loves you. Sir, who is trying so desperately to get a title or an amount of money in your bank account to prove something to somebody who told you you'd be nobody, listen to me, you ain't got to prove nothing to God. He loves you. No matter what your title is or how much money you have or how many things you're able to buy or how big your boat is. He loves you. He loves you. Student in the room, listen to me, high school, college student, if you don't have your life figured out by 23, God's okay. He loves you. And he wants to be involved in these steps and decisions in your life. So when you are feeling overwhelmed and confused and depressed and discouraged because everything's not happening exactly like you thought it would happen, God 
loves you. He loves you, especially on those days when you don't love yourself. So let's get started reading this together. Psalm 139, we're going to start with verse 1. You can grab a Bible or grab your sermon guide and follow along with me. Here we go. Psalm 139, verse 1. It says, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything. Everybody say everything. Everything about me. You know when I sit down or when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything. Everybody say everything. Everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I'm going to say it, Lord. I don't even know what I'm going to say before I say it most of the time. But God knows what I'm going to say before I say it. You go before me and follow me. Place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. Let's just stop for a moment before we keep reading because this is quite the start to Psalm 139. God knows everything about you. Everything. Everything. There's nothing that God doesn't know about you. He knows how you feel. He knows what you want to do. He knows your secrets. Body hair, the rash. He knows right where it's at. What you're hiding in the shoebox in the closet. What you did that nobody else knows about. What you want to say even though you didn't say it. He knows everything about you. Now, as I say that, there are different emotions that kind of come up in us. For a lot of us, it's probably a little bit of, of um, angst. Like, whoa, like, I, I, I don't want God creeping on me that way. I'm not, I don't know that I'm comfortable with God knowing everything. Well, whether you're comfortable or not, God knows everything, all right? But what I want you to know is that instead of being bothered by the fact that God knows everything, what you should feel is real comfort. As a matter of fact, what you should feel is real, really amazed. Because the creator of the universe, big God, creator, gives you his undivided attention. Undivided attention. You get God's undivided attention. Now, that's hard for me to wrap my mind around because I am a father of four. And none of my children get my undivided attention, okay? Now, there's 7 billion people on the planet, but you don't get one seven billionth of God's attention. You get God's undivided attention. Now, you got more than like one, maybe two kids in here. You're like, I don't even know how that's possible. If we're being honest, I can't believe I haven't lost kid number four yet. Like, I, I'm, I'm amazed that they're all still with me at this point, okay? All right? And some of y'all are looking at me, judging me with your hand sanitizer in your purse. That's fine. I am just saying that for me, like, it's hard to give all the kids the appropriate amount of attention, okay? Um, sometimes you just do, like, reverse kidnapping. Like, please just go in the room. If you'll just get in the room, I'll give you anything you want. And so it's hard to do that sometimes. And I'll just make you feel better about your parenting. You can just judge me. I'll, before I tell you this story, I want to just preface by saying Andrea was not with me. She does not deserve any blame for what I'm about to share with you. 
She's a wonderful mother, okay? There's 100% dad problems right here, okay? You ready for this? Let's just make you feel better about your parenting. So um, last year, I don't know what came over me, but I decided to take all four kids by myself to Georgia. We're going to hang out with the family. I can't remember what Andrea had or she just wanted to take a break or whatever, but I'm like, okay, not that big a deal. We'll be in the car together. Let's just load up, get them to the grandparents, then we'll hand them off, right? So we get all the kids in the car and we're driving, you know, six hours or whatever, and we cross the Georgia state line and we need to take another bathroom stop or whatever. So we stop at a Wendy's and we, this busy exit, and we get out and we go into the restaurant and the two oldest girls, uh, you know, kind of doing their thing. And then I'm holding Zeke. Zeke can't walk yet. So I'm holding Zeke. We're changing diapers. I'm sure we bought a Frosty or two, whatever it is. And so we are going back outside. The two girls are walking ahead. I'm holding Zeke. We get out there. I'm buckling him in his car seat when it hits me. And parents, I think most of you know what I'm talking about. I realize I've got one unaccounted for. I'm down one man. I, I don't, we're down, we're, we're missing one, Okay. And so I'm like, Sadie and Nora, do you know where Solomon is? That's kid number three. Sadie and Nora, Solomon is. I'm like, no. So I, I finished really fast buckling Zeke, and I, I, I kind of back out of the van, and I'm looking around. And when I see this lady coming towards me carrying Solomon with this look of real judgment and, 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 um, <laughs> on her face. And so she's like, this is what she says. She's like, is this yours? And I'm like, no, 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 I'm looking for a different kid. Um, I'm just kidding. And she's like, well, I, mean, I, I can't do it justice, the real contempt she had in her voice. But she's like, well, I, I grabbed him for you because he was running through all the cars in the drive through line. And I'm like, wow, I'm so glad I don't live here and I'll never meet you again. I, um, so I take Solomon, I get him buckled. And so, yeah, there you go. Like, the dad of the year, my kids play real-life Frogger, okay, in... Busy parking lots, that's what we do. And I've only got four. That's what's amazing about God is that he never loses track of you. He's not, he's not tracking you, but he never loses track of you. He's not creeping on you. He, he is with you. He knows you. And this should bring comfort to you because you, you can never surprise God. You never go to God and you say, God, I'm really nervous. They're laying off people at work, and I think maybe I'm next. And God's like, they're laying off people at work? Nobody's told me yet. No. You can't let him down. He already knows. You can't even impress him. He already knows. And if you really grab a hold of this idea, it fundamentally changes the way that you pray because you don't pray to inform God. God already knows. You get to interact with God, talk to God, feel God's peace, feel God's presence with you, but you don't inform him. He, he already knows. He knows you. And that also means that he knows what you need. This is how well he, he knows us and, and, and that he gives us his undivided attention. He also knows what it is that we need before we even know that we need it. This was a really kind of visible in my life um, this past week because on Thursday, uh, Thursday's another day, where I have all four kids. Uh, Andrea's here at work, and then she's our worship pastor, so she leads the rehearsal. So she just kind of takes that evening. She normally has the kids. I'm gone, but on Thursdays, I have the kids. She's here. And so I pick up the boys, and from like 2 to 9 or 10 in the evening, we're all together. And, you know, it's pretty chaotic, but we're, we're, we survive, you know? And, uh, and so this past Thursday, 
I get this text before the girls get home from school that just says, hey, thanks so much for being an awesome dad. Uh, there's food in the crock pot on the counter. It's the Mexican chicken you like. Sadie's shin guards are on the third shelf in the laundry room. The shorts she likes to wear are in the dryer. Let me know if you need anything else. How amazing is that? That's pretty amazing, first of all. But here's what's amazing is that she knows me so well that she knows that in about an hour, I'm going to be really frustrated because I can't find the shorts and the shin guards and, and, and we're gonna, the kids are going to want cereal, right? And so, and she knows I'm going to pick up the phone and be like, where's the shorts? Where's the shin? She already knows what I'm going to be thinking and what I'm going to be feeling and what I'm going to need. And so preemptively, she let me know. In a way, that's how God does too. God knows where you're going. He knows what you're going to feel. And so don't be threatened by this idea that God knows you. Be comforted by the fact that, God, you know me. So if you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down. You can write this down on your notes. Just, we're going to keep it super simple. Number one, just write down, God knows me. Because Psalm 139 is going to lay out this little four-step thing. And so just, number one, God knows me. God knows me. So let's keep, let's keep reading this, okay? Let's go to verse 13. Skip ahead to verse 13. This is what it says. It says, you made, talking about God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born, every day of my life recorded in your book, every moment laid out before a single day had passed. If you're still taking those notes, write this down. Number one, God knows me. Number two, God made me. God made me. The reason God knows everything about you because he created you. It would not surprise you to find out that Steve Jobs knew everything about the iPhone because he created it. Or that Mark Zuckerberg knows everything about Facebook because he created it, right? And so God knows you because he created you. Now, here's something that's kind of cool about Psalm 139 is that scholars believe that Psalm 139 was actually a psalm written by Adam, of Adam and Eve, right? And so, um, and that it was passed down like an oral uh, thing, generation after generation, and David's just the one who uh, recorded it. It was actually written by Adam. And if that's true, and nobody knows exactly if that's true, but if that's true, it makes verses 13 through 16 even more amazing. Because Adam was the first man to ever live. He, he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was created by God. No mom and dad, right? He was formed from the earth. And so there was no doubt in his mind that God is my creator. So in verse 14, when he says, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex, your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. He wasn't saying this like haughty or arrogant. He wasn't looking in the mirror flexing like, You're, you know, thank you for making me so amazing. That's not what Adam was saying. He was saying it as someone who was marveling at God's ability to create. So he's looking at his fingers as they bend, and he's like, how marvelous is your creation? I know it. The first time he sees something beautiful, the first time he smells, the first time he tastes something amazing, he is marveling at God's creation. And so we don't have time to go into all this, but you are a walking miracle. The fact that your eyes work or your taste buds work, you are a walking miracle. And, and so the fact that God created us is supposed to cause us, the more that we 
you know, the more that we are aware of the miraculous creative power of God, it's supposed to make us worship him more. Because he, because he made us. And so God knows everything about you because we're his creation. He knows us down to the molecular level. So here's a question for you. If you knew that somebody knew everything about you, everything, everything, what you did, what you think, how you feel, what you want to do, even though you don't do it, all your secrets, if you knew that God, or that somebody knew everything about you, and you knew that somebody created you so they know how you work and they know, if, if you knew that somebody knew that about you, how do you think they would feel about you. Now, you don't know everything about you, but you know a lot about you. And you struggle to love yourself. That's why when Jesus said to love your neighbor like you love yourself, it was a harder command than we originally thought it was because we struggle to love ourselves because the more that we find out about, our, about ourselves, the more disappointed we are in ourselves. Isn't that true? And so if I told you, like if, if, you, if you knew that I knew everything about you, you would probably assume that I was mad at you, disappointed in you, frustrated with you, um, appalled by you. I would feel the same way. If you knew everything about me, I would assume that you would be ashamed of me. And for many of us in the room, that's how we think God feels about us, especially when we find out that he knows us. But as we keep reading through this psalm, you get to verse 17, and here's what verse 17 says. This is amazing. It says, how precious are your thoughts about me, O God? They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand, and when I wake up, you are still with me. Everything in Psalm 139 up to verse 17 was this setup to get us to verse 17, to where we learn that even though God knows Everything about us, his thoughts about us, are precious thoughts. So much, so many precious thoughts that they can't even be quantified. So many. That God knowing everything about you is madly in love with you. Now, A.W. Tozer was a famous uh, preacher, pastor, writer, and his, probably his most famous quote is this quote right here. What you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Maybe you've heard that before. It's his most famous quote. His, his premise was that your perception of God determines how you live your life. And I think that's 100% true. I'm not trying to change Tozer's words, but I would kind of rephrase it like this because I think this is true too. What you think God thinks when he thinks about you is the most important thing about you. Let me say that again. What you think God thinks when he thinks about you is the most important thing about you. What do you think God thinks about you? He knows everything about you. He created you. He's seen you with your clothes off. Hello, right? He knows the worst parts about you. So what do you think he thinks about you? If an angel showed up, it didn't work like this, I'm sure, but if an angel showed up and said your name in his ear, what do you think he says? 
What's the expression on his face? What's the emotion that he feels? If you were able to get five minutes alone with God, just five minutes, and he got to talk to you, what do you think he would say to you? If you grew up with a dad who was too demanding, or you grew up in a religious environment that, uh, you know, uh, told you how bad you were, you'd probably think that God would finally get five minutes to set me straight. I don't think that's what he would say. Because when I haven't seen my kids for a long time, and I get a couple of minutes with them, we usually laugh, tickle, kiss, joke. And I'm, I'm an earthly father. The Bible says, Psalm 139, 17, that God, knowing everything about you, thinks nothing but precious thoughts about you. And I love the end of that in verse 18. It says, and when I wake up, you're still with me. This idea that no matter how bad today is, no matter how awful I am today, no matter how bad I blow it today, when I wake up tomorrow, guess what? God's there. God's there. My oldest daughter, Sadie, had a rough day at school this last week, and she was really struggling, and then I was kind of frustrated with her because the way she was treating me and all this stuff, and I really wanted to like, be like a hard parent to like, set her straight Thankfully, just, I'm not this great a dad by any means, but thankfully the Holy Spirit helped me, and I was like, you know what, I don't think this is helping anything. And so I had to go somewhere, we, I had to leave, Andrew and I had to go somewhere, and I had about five minutes, ten minutes. She had gone into her bedroom to cry, lay on her bed, and so I just went in there, and I said, scoot over, and I just laid there with her. And we didn't say anything. She just kind of teared up, and I told Lexa to start playing some music, and we laid there for about five or ten minutes, and then we left. And, and I'm not saying that to make you think any certain way about me. I'm just saying that I think if, if God got five minutes with you, I think it'd feel like that. Especially on the really bad days. No matter how bad today is, he's there tomorrow. And tomorrow he thinks precious things about me. So number one, God knows me. Make sure you write that down. Number two, God made me. He, write that down. Number three, write down number three, God loves me. God knows me. God made me. God loves me. Usually the more I know about something, the more I critique it, the less I love it. Usually the more, if I create something, I'm the most critical of it. That's not how God is with us. He knows us. He created us. He's not critical of us. He loves us. And so we, we, we get to this point in Psalm 139, it's building, and we get to these last two verses. We're going to skip ahead to 23 and 24, but it was, it was, it's been building. God knows me, God made me, God loves me, but there's one other piece of this puzzle that, that David or whoever wrote this is piecing together. God knows me, God made me, God loves me, but number four would be, if you want to write this down, God wants to lead me. God wants to lead me. Notice I didn't say God wants to drag me. Notice I didn't say God wants to push me. I didn't say God wants to guilt me. I said God wants to lead me. Let's read this together. 139 verses 23 and 24. It says, search me, O God. And know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. 
point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Verses 23 and 24 don't work without verses 1 through 22. Because here's what I know about you and here's what I know about me. If I don't trust that even though you know everything about me and even though you created me, if I can't trust that you love me, then I'll never ask you to lead me. If I don't think you love me, I'm never going to give you permission to lead me. But, but, but the first 22 verses set up for us this idea that, yeah, God knows everything about me. And yeah, God created me, but he's not disappointed in me. He's not critical of me. He thinks precious thoughts about me. And so when we read verse 17, we're supposed to go, wait a second. God who knows everything about me, God who created me, wait a second. He loves me? Well, if God knows me and God made me and if God loves me, then God, I want you to lead me. We don't have time, but we just, he throws out four things. Number one, he says, search me. I, I just, I don't like to be searched. I travel a lot and I get searched at the airport. It ain't no fun. Confession, this is a safe place. I've been frisked by the cops twice with my hands on the hood. I've never done drugs, but I drove this Chevy S10 that looked like a drug dealer truck, I guess. I got pulled over all the time. I don't know. And, and listen, I, I think that if you think God's out to get you, the idea of God searching you, you think God wants to frisk me. God don't want to frisk you. He loves you. He's not out to get you. And so if David's the one who wrote this, he, he's, he's giving God permission, not that God needs permission because God already knows. We don't ask God to search us because he needs to know. We ask God to search us because we need to know because everybody in the room has blind spots. You don't know everything about you. And so David says, search me. And then next he says, test me. I hate tests. I was not a good student. But the reason we go through tests is because it reveals what's in us. When we're squeezed, what's really in us comes out. No hardship means nothing of value. And so I don't want to be tested, but God, I, I do want you to do something valuable and amazing in my life. So God, test me. And the third thing he says is critique me, which he doesn't say critique me, but he does say point out everything in me that offends you. Because if I know you know me, and I know you made me, and I know you love me, I don't want to offend you. I don't want to live in a way that offends you. And then the last part, he says, search me, test me, critique me. And then he says, lead me. Lead me. He's not dragging me. He's not pushing me. I'm giving him permission because I know that even though he knows me and made me, he loves me. So God, if you know me and you made me and you love me, then God lead me, and it says that he leads us to everlasting life. Whatever it is that he's leading us away from, he's taking us to something better. Whatever it is that we're giving up for where we're going, it's better. Whatever it is that we're trying to let go of so we can grab hold of something, it's better. Because the imagery in this verse is that God takes our hand because we've given him permission to. And he leads us away from whatever it is in our life that offends him and leads us to everlasting life. So here's my prayer for you today. What could happen if you gave God permission to search you, 
test you, critique you, and lead you. God, test me, and then let's go over the answers together and let me know where I can improve. Not because I've got anything to prove to you. You already know everything about me, but God, I want you to lead me to life. So God, search me, test me, critique me, and lead me. What could happen? What could God do? If you let him lead you. Let's pray.